and welcome to The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, the politics, and the policies that drive Texas. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Director at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Derek Cohen, who's the Vice President of Policy at TPPF. And today, we, ha- we have a very special guest. Uh, we don't always have guests here, but from time to time, we like to bring people in to get their perspectives. Our guest today is Brad Johnson. He is a senior reporter at The Texan. Uh, he covers all things Texas legislature, all things Texas, all things Texas really. Um, and you can find his stories at the Texan.news. And I would, uh, I'll go ahead and, as, as a point of privilege, go ahead and tell everybody to, sub- to subscribe to the Texan. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, uh, news outlet, and I've been a subscriber since the very first day. Uh, so I've enjoyed uh, your work, uh, Brad, uh, for sure. Uh, so thank you for coming, and uh, appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, we're coming up on our four-year anniversary next month, and uh, it's exciting to see, uh, you know, how much. Um, we're getting into the legislature, how the reputation we've gained, mm-hmm. um, large part thanks to you guys, you know, having us uh, use your, your experts for stories and whatnot. Sure. So, you know, we appreciate it. Well, that's great. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there was uh, not a few people, uh, uh, not, a, not uh, a few people who were rooting against you guys because you're definitely right of center, although yeah. uh, your, your editor in chief, uh, uh, Connie Burton, of course, was a, was a very conservative senator uh, in the legislature. But, you know, I always liked that, that her, her um, the reason why she wanted to start the, the magazine in the first place or the online outlet was because that the, the, the center right viewpoint was not, was not prevalent in, in Texas. Texas media yeah. of all places, um, and that and that you didn't have to open up something and read an article every single day that that contradicted your particular viewpoint every single time. Um, talk a little bit about yeah. the philosophy behind uh, getting started. Well, Connie, Connie's not the editor in chief, and that's oh, uh, I'm impo- sorry. it's alright, sorry, it's important because um, she, her, from the very beginning, she was adamant that there be no opinion. And of course, if you see Connie on Twitter, she's that's slinging right. opinions left and right. <laughs> um, but there's very much a firewall. Um, she doesn't do handle day to day content mm-hmm. on things, and she's off, you know, advocating for whatever policy she believes in, and and trying to sell a Texan. But the v- the view from the very beginning was uh, a fact based news organization that doesn't uh, spit on the worldview of of most Texans. Right. And I think we've done that. Um, you know, like you said, we're right of center. Everyone that works there is at uh, right of center, if not, uh, you know, more conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's been quite successful. You know, we get uh, not just conservatives talking to us. We have Democrats all the time. I was interviewing Harold Dutton yesterday on the floor of the House. And uh, it's been quite a, fu- quite a ride. And, um, you know, we, we made a lot of progress. And, of course, you've been there since the very beginning. Um, and so you've been covering the, the Texas legislature for a long time. Derek. Well, the only thing I would add is, yes, while you guys are acknowledge, you know, acknowledge your priors, which I think we uh, could, could stand to see a little bit more in the Texas media. Yeah. Um, y'all play it pretty much straight down the fairway. I mean, as far as when it comes to things that are reported, and then maybe it maybe it's just my own bias and fish not knowing is what, it doesn't seem like you're pushing it one way or the other, right or left. It's you are just resuscitating or you know, regurgitating facts and putting those into applied context. Not necessarily saying, and this is why this bill needs to die or this is the worst or best thing since sliced bread or whatever the case might be. You know, when I started this I'd never done journalism. I didn't go to school for journalism, um, and I found that I was Which is frustrated. Why you didn't end up as a leftist, I guess. Right? right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I started with the same kind of uh, frustration with media that most right of center people have because of what the media generally is, 
And I found it to be really interesting how easy it is to to just play things down the fairway. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that doesn't that's not to say there aren't difficult parts of the job, Um, you know, covering the legislature when everything is happening. It's like drinking from a fire hose. But um, I, I don't find it really that difficult to keep most of my priors out of this. You know, obviously we the bias comes in in what what stories that we choose to cover because you can't cover everything. But we also, like you said, we acknowledge our priors, and that's something most media does not do. When there's a clearly, very clear prior bias there. And that's a good segue to um, later in the show, I definitely want to get to some of the stories that don't get as much coverage in the so-called corporate press or mainstream media or whatever. I think you guys do a really good job of, of doing that. And in, in particular, I think uh, you find those stories, you know, on legislation that's moving through the Capitol uh, on big issues uh, that we don't always hear about. So while we have 15 seconds left of the shameless plug per- portion <laughs> of the show, uh, we'll remind our folks that if you want to get in touch with us, uh, Derek and I love the feedback of the constructive criticism, even some of the hate out there on social media. Again, I'm at uh, Real Phil on Twitter uh, and Derek is at Cohen at TPPF on Twitter. So send us your show ideas or feedback or criticism, whatever you have. Um, I'll also plug um, the probably our best newsletter that we have is our weekly newsletter. If You uh, you can pick it up at TexasPolicy.com slash the post. TexasPolicy.com slash the post. It's a uh, weekly um, uh, newsletter of all the things that we're working on, all the big issues that are going on, all the commentaries and things that we have. Um, and I also write an exclusive piece for that. So uh, you can only get it there. So that's uh, texaspolicy.com slash the post. All right, guys, um, we're going to get right into the legislature and what's going on this week. Uh, Derek, you usually do a pretty good wrap up for us in terms mm-hmm. of your, your ledge land update that we like to call. So um, uh, give us kind of, you know, your, your, your top items for the week. Well, I have to say the, the biggest item of note was pro- probably the absence of the absence of something. Uh, and that would be the absence of the Sturmendrang uh, around the gender modification bill in the Senate. So we saw on Monday that it was heard in uh, House Public Health, you know, with a hearing that went to uh, midnight and then then a flat, then you know, was whistled uh, whistled done. Um, and obviously the the attending shenanigans that surrounded that die-ins and and whatnot. Um, be, but that being said, is drum circles, die-ins, DJs, all yeah. the crazy shenanigans. I, I, see, I don't know about y'all, but I always tell my folks that when they're advocating at the Capitol, it helps to have a DJ. Um, but that's that's you know that's that's my take. Um, but no, seriously. But does he take requests? That's really the key. Is if you're going to get your bill heard. Yeah, well, no, nah, he's kind of in this weird experimental phase, and so there's there's a lot, there's a lot of like weird drops, you know, a lot of mashups. Yeah, we can we we can go with that. You know, he just like, overdoes it way yeah, too much. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. The, the the crescendo beat and all that. You know, that's what people people uh, tune in for our jokes about DJs. Um, but that being said, is yeah, we had all this production on Monday, and I was like, well, here we go. Who's gonna who's gonna fall on the grenade and you know do the you know the several hour filibuster in the Senate? Mm-hmm. Not only did nobody filibuster in the Senate. They did not even talk about it. The bill was not even before the Senate for more than an hour. Hmm. The the bill was There's no debate on the bill. Uh, well, I mean, it was there was an airing of grievances. I think would be fair to say, hmm. but there was there was no substantive back and you know back and forth. It was more kind of re, I would say, microwaving the the talking points we heard in the committee hearing. And then those we heard in the committee hearing on Monday. And it's you know these things that you know Dr. Campbell was very you know, resolute and defending. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just, it came and went without so much as a, uh, without so much as a, the whimper. Now that we also see that over in the house side, they're actually starting to advance bills. We had bills engrossed in the house already. Um, 
And in that case, it was, you know, these were some ones that have moved quickly through committees. One fairly non-controversial. I don't know unless you have a Diwali uh, fireworks business <laughs> or uh, have a real uh, pronounced uh, take on I think on there it. were two no votes on that yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that and um, uh, Texas Honey as well. Um, that was actually an interesting fight. Well, well, okay, and Brad, actually, I would love to get your take on this because this is what I found incredibly interesting. So there were there was HB three hundred, which is the basically uh, takes uh, certain maternal items and now adult items, um, incontinence items, and takes a pro- it takes a sales tax off of that. That's got like. You know, well over, well north of a hundred million dollars a year fiscal note. That's 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 not a nothing fiscal note. But that kind of came and went on uh, on Tuesday, the first day it was on the floor, and then the one that actually elicited the most debate and the most discussion was whether or not we're la- like how we're labeling honey that's made in Texas, whether it was blended or mm. true Texas honey, and so and I I that juxtaposition I found quite baffling. Similarly, yeah, I mean the. The whole slates of four bills it was on the first day, Tuesday, nothing was really that controversial. But the honey bill was the most controversial. It eventually got 16 no votes. But the fight was over. uh, Are you guys familiar with uh, champagne and how it only comes, actual champagne only comes from a certain part in France, mm-hmm. and everything else is just a knockoff. Sure, what's well, like that? Only you, you could Texas have said honey. bourbon, though. Like too, like we could. I have... guess, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if there's the uh, still on this the, side of the pond, yeah, Brad. I'm not sure if there's the regulatory uh, behemoth behind the bourbon lobby as there is the champagne lobby. But it's it's like that only with Texas honey. Um, uh, are uh, vendors allowed to mix any bit of alter out of state honey into their mostly Texas honey, for it to be qualified as that. And there were uh, at least a few uh, representatives in the House that very much disagreed with that. And Representative Bales was the one who who advanced the bill. He was saying this about fairness. It's obviously going to help some people and hurt others in the industry. Where do you come down on that? But, um, you know, I I like those kinds of fights, uh, especially over more esoteric, you know, type of topics. (laughs) It stings. Oh, you went there, of course. <laughs> oh, good lord! Okay, so the 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 what, what do you make? I mean, uh, Derek makes a good point. I mean, you know, you had, I mean, every single uh, publication in Texas has written about the gender mod bill, and and all of them, I think, have opposed the bill. All of them are using the Democrat talking points about it leading to you know to kids committing suicide or how it's you know eliminating transgenders or it's or it's anti LGBT. You have this this huge you know the the media cares so much about this and the left wing care so much about this and then of course the members all vote no but they but there's no debate when it comes time to actually go to the floor and to, and to make the case as a legislator in front of the you know the people of texas there's there's nothing like how does that happen well i first of all i expect some more floor opposition in the house just because it's naturally more chaotic <laughs> but also if i saw correctly um the anti SB whatever mm-hmm. uh, crowd got actually a bit of a compromise, which was grandfathers in anyone currently getting these treatments. Mm. And so, um, as far as anyone showing up to testify at the committee or sending emails to the the senators about this, 
they would all be exempt from this prohibition. It would just be for people going forward once it passes. Yeah, which, which actually makes a lot of sense if you think about it, though, because, you know, Campbell's whole case on this, one, one I largely agree with, is that this is unvetted experimental medicine. Well, so too would be, you know, going cold turkey on a, on a, on a run of hormones or of a, a run of a medication. So it kind of it kind of makes sense because they're going to have to pump the brakes, but they can't slam on the brakes, as right. it were. All right. Well, moving on to kind of a similar issue. Um, also in the Senate this week, um, uh, we passed out or we the um, uh, Senate passed out uh, protecting women's sports and, and not letting uh, males play in women's sports. Interesting vote sheet on that. Uh, getting a nut. Was it, though? I mean, mm-hmm. I thought it was not, it wasn't 19 to 12 like the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I believe you had. And correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, but I think we had three Democrats go white light on that. I I was not following that vote. It's not my issue. But um, I would not be surprised because we saw crossover appeal for it last time around mm-hmm. with uh, the um, you know elementary through high school version. Mm-hmm. Again, so. not a, not a huge debate. There wasn't you know a big you know it wasn't a big floor. There's certainly no filibusters or anything like this. Are is these are these types of issues? Maybe you call them cultural. I don't know. Are the Democrats just not willing? wanting to fight these issues anymore. I mean, there's literally no discussion about the abortion issue right now either, right? I mean, after everything that happened with the last, uh, with the Supreme Court and the last election and all of that, um, and a lot of, frankly, le- you know, left-wing uh, organizations taking credit for the Republicans not doing as well as they should have done because of the abortion issue in the last election. And yet here we are in Texas, kind of ground zero for whether or not states are going to be able to make their own rules about abortion. And you don't hear this at all. Are, are, are the Democrats waving the white flag, Brad, on on cultural issues. Well, you know, as the minority party, um, you have to pick and choose what you go to the mat over. Mm. What did they do last session? Elections, the election reform bill, and they killed it um, with the the quorum break, two quorum breaks. Uh, eventually, it passed. But the biggest issue I think that Democrats will go to the mat on is school choice, and that hasn't come up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about to come out of committee. If it, it may have just come out of committee, so we'll see that on the floors of the Senate soon. Um, but the big question is in the House, and do Republicans even support that? Democrats have a much stronger position uh, in the House on that. Mm-hmm. So, Derek, the women's sports bill. Yeah, the women's sports bill. Uh, like I said, you know, we had three we had three uh, white lights on that, and I and I think in this actually, I'd like to I'd like to piggyback a little bit on what Brad said because I think they're interrelated. Is that you had the walkout that that. that what I believe in my reading of the data had redound not to the political success of the Democrats going forward. Obviously, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of a, the red wave that wasn't, you know, we talked about that mm-hmm. in particular narrative. But that being said is, you know, a lot of these Democrats took a lot of flack for this. And the rules that uh, were passed when uh, they came back or the rules that we have uh, currently for the floor are punitive for that sort of behavior. And so I think we're going to actually see that discouraged from this particular time. Now, and specifically on um, school choice, though, I, I will say that one thing that, that I'm cautious of, because they passed it out so quickly, is SB 10, which obviously is the COLA adjustment for uh, for the teachers. Teacher pay. Right. Yeah. And, and look, if that's, if that's moving, I think it's good policy and politics if that we're moving with um, – 
you know, alongside SB8. Mm-hmm. But that being said, if 10 goes and 8 doesn't, I think that you are going to have a lot of people mm-hmm. very upset for a lot of different reasons. Brad, it's interesting that you bring up uh, school choice, uh, which we're contractually obligated to do as uh, DPPF every single <laughs> 11 minutes, I think is what it is. <laughs> I'll check um, the employee handbook. But I, believe it's, I believe it's down to 9. And not just school choice, but I mean the whole parent empowerment bill. I mean the parent uh, Parents' Bill of Rights, which, which kind of gets to my point is that fundamentally this debate is about something different than it was four years ago or five or six years ago. Uh, certainly in the last you know, four or five years, certain two, two or three years, this issue has a new dynamic. It's not just about choice. It's not just about fairness, uh, you know, to be able to choose where your kids goes to school. The last three years through the pandemic and everything else, parents are starting to see what's going on in schools. And I won't necessarily take you through our whole narrative again, but we all know that, that, that especially with uh, what we saw like in the Virginia governor's race, I mean, parents are angry about what's going on in the schools. They didn't know all this gender ideology and CRT uh, were being pushed on their kids. Then when they start to push back, now all of a sudden they're getting, you know, their mics cut off and they're getting arrested. I mean, the dynamic has completely changed and it's no longer about, you know, private school interests or private interests versus the teachers and the public schools and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's about parents and about what parents want versus what the uh, the education establishment wants to wants to keep control over. I mean, that's really what the real debate is over right now. And so you have this growing block on you know of left, right, independent doesn't matter. But their parents now saying it's us versus the education establishment, which is a very different dynamic. Do the Democrats? I mean, is that something? I mean, do they not? Number one, do they not realize that the dynamic has changed, and and or do they not care? And they're still willing to shut down, you know, the the legislature and and become the the anti-parent party in order to defend uh, the interests of the the public schools. Well, teachers unions especially are are very strong on the political left. They hold a lot of sway. Um, the dynamic, though, has definitely changed. Um, I think the. The dam-breaking moment, though, was school closures during mm-hmm. the pandemic. Now, all this other cultural stuff is definitely part of it, and it's part of grow, uh, you know, further pushing the momentum. But the fact that um, you know, many many schools closed or masked kids um, upset a ton of parents, and I think that really got the ball rolling on it. You know, we saw it homeschooling skyrocket, mm-hmm. and uh, that j- has just continued when you throw in the more curriculum type of aspects to this. But uh, that, yeah, I think that's really what got the ball rolling, um, not only in Texas, but elsewhere. We saw that in, in Virginia mm-hmm. on top of all the other cultures. They're stuff. likely to pass um, a uh, school choice bill or some kind of bill um, out of the Senate SB8, yeah. uh, likely this happened, to, happened this week. And then it moves over to the House. So we'll talk a little bit about the House. What issues are you guys seeing in the House? What are the top issues, uh, Derek, do you see in the House being debated right now, either in the committees or, or I guess the floor is not having a whole lot of action right now? Uh, honey, uh, you know, notwithstanding <laughs> the big, the great honey debate of 2023. Um, but what's we'll, going we'll on? Tell our, we'll tell our kids we were there for that. <laughs> Um, but uh, but what 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 big issues are going on in the House that we need to keep an eye on? Well, in the House, and I mentioned this last week, I believe the House is moving with the most alacrity in the realm of um, technology. You know, we've seen both uh, HB4 be uh, set for, I believe it's next Monday. Data uh, privacy. Yeah, which is data privacy. And it's also uh, the first item that qualifies as major state, um, which just kind of gives a preferential hearing amongst uh, second reading bills. Uh, we have uh, HB 18, which is data privacy for, you know, protecting minors online. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And we've seen that moving uh, fast as well. Now, that has not necessarily been uh, voted out of committee. Um, you know, and just in the kind of the general committee world, we haven't really necessarily seen these big themed hearings. You know, uh, member, or I'm sorry, the chairs seem to be taking uh, the requests almost as, you know, almost as they come in. So I know, for example, you know, in, in criminal jurisprudence where, where I was on Tuesday, you know, it was everything from, you know, forfeiture to marijuana to you know, uh, the rogue prosecutors and things like that. So it was all over the place. Oh, and then bail, of course, because, you know, can't have a session without bail. You can't um, take our property or our weed. All the same, all the same here. Or, 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 you, or you'll have to put it down to get out of jail. So, <laughs> but all, all that to say is all that to say is there's less of a co, uh, less of a coherent at a, at a committee level uh, push on any one particular things. Obviously, we see we've seen ta- uh, property taxes advance in both chambers. Mm-hmm. Um and that's still going to be a point of contention. I think, yeah, that's we'll go into that a little bit later too. But as far as as far as speaker priorities, I would say definitely tech. But then I would also highlight because it, you want to talk about interesting politics, the Reader Act. Mm-hmm. You know that basically keeping uh, the porn books out of schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And and so um, when that was debated, uh, when that was debated, we saw. Democrats, well, not only vote for the bill, it was 10 to 2 in committee, but we also saw them publicly take a stand in support of it, uh, Sean Terry being being most notable, in you know, in public pushing back. And that was, I mean, that really shows that there is a limit to what individuals are going to tolerate on behalf of some of these entities. And I think that that's going to be one of, one of the issues where we're going to see interesting splits. I don't think and don't don't tell David Dunmore this. I don't think tech is going to be that interesting because most people are already there. Yeah. You know, uh, he mentioned this morning that it had something on the order of seventy four co authors. Yeah. Well, um, that's I, almost a majority. So yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, well, that sure beats having to do a whip count, and so it's going to be on major yeah. states. So, yeah. uh, Brad, uh, in the house, major issues, but also want to get your thoughts on uh, anything that might be sort of under the radar that you want to highlight yeah. that you're covering. Well, first I'll say that the house is generally slower, mm-hmm. bigger body, more moving parts. And so on, uh, but stank also leadership. stank leadership, yes. <laughs> but also, the um, uh, they lead on the budget this year, mm-hmm. and so that's actually thir- scheduled for Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while last session the Senate did that first, and then we had Budget Day in the House later on, it's all happening now, and so I think that's taking some of the oxygen away from other stuff that we'll see later. Uh, the Reader Act was definitely interesting. Um, uh, Oscar Longoria, who is uh, a joint author on the bill, pushed back on, or basically, uh, in an indirect way, pushed back on James Tallarico and his comments during that committee hearing. Um, I think one under the radar issue that I'm going to be following a lot, and I have no idea how it's going to turn out in the House, is this uh, local debt situation, um, specifically the Amarillo. Um, uh, where, where they passed $260 million of spending through this weird route that was not intended for that. The uh, the revenue anticipation notes? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and that was after voters rejected their, their proposal. House members, uh, Drew Darby was one, uh, got really outraged 
by that when they heard Rightfully this in so. committee over interim. Yeah, just to catch our uh, viewers up, we, we, we've done some, uh, I actually did one of my uh, personal podcasts, there's another shameless plug for Brian's Breakdown, I actually uh, interviewed Alex Fairley, who was the activist who really brought this to the fore. Very quickly, uh, the voters rejected $260 million bond to you know borrow that money for taxpayers to have to pay back. Voters rejected that for the purpose of some convention center or something like that. And then the city council or the, the city government uh, basically used this archaic uh, you know, loophole uh, in the law for them to essentially go through and get the money anyway. Um, Alex Fairley and others thought that that was an abuse of power. Went and fought it, um, and eventually won. I think yep. in the courts, uh, when, yep. when, when won in the courts. But because it became a hubbub, Alex brought it to the legislature and angered several members of the state legislature that, that Amarillo would do something like that. Because once, the, if they did that and they were successful, every single city government would get yep. the message, and then and then it would be well, we don't even have to ask the 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 taxpayers for hundreds of millions of dollars anymore. Yeah. We can just go get it. Where TML is going to fall on that? Yeah. Exactly. Well, the the other thing about that issue, the court it, the court didn't rule that they couldn't do that. They ruled that they didn't follow the proper procedure to do it. And so the legislature, if they're going to prevent this down the road, they have to pass a law to right. prohibit it. Yeah, good point. So um, another another, it's not exactly low on the totem pole, but I think it's getting less. Um, examination that it should is this power grid situation. Mm. That is a massive point of contention between the two chambers. Senate's advancing their slate, which does a whole bunch of different things. It's way too lengthy to, to go into detail on. But uh, the big the big um, uh, hiccup, I think, will be SB6. And how much money yeah, do so we... you got to tell people what that yeah, is. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. SB6, which <laughs> would create this insurance program to specifically um, finance the about 10,000 megawatts of natural gas generation. And there are arguments that that is basically uh, anti-free market. And I think we'll see that especially take root in the House. Um, as we saw kind of last session, the House was opposed to the Berkshire Hathaway plan, which was fairly similar. Um, the government specifically picking this group to build generation. Uh, that didn't go anywhere. Uh, this is the option this session, or one of the options. Um, I don't really know what the House is going to do on that, but once again, you know, we're back talking about the power grid mm -hmm. after we thought, after we spent 22 hours in committee hearing uh, on this issue last session. Yeah, and 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 to put a and to put a, a fine point on that too, it's a lot. A lot of the the consternation about that specifically is because of the nature of uh, Texas deregulated market. You know, most yeah. of uh, most of the country has a uh, some form of a capacity market mm -hmm. and we've we've deliberately stepped away from that and obviously it were I mean you know there, there's times where there's times where it's not great or where it hasn't been great obviously but you know overall it's it's, it's worked for us this kind of level of subsidy would kind of question well are, are are we just going to pivot back to a capacity mm -hmm. market and I think that's where some of the consternation in the mm -hmm. house is going to come from interesting though I haven't heard much yet. I say much yet. I mean that doesn't mean that there there these conversations haven't been uh, going on. Mostly, I'll, I'll go to uh, I'll go to Brad uh, um, to see if he's written about it. But I haven't heard much on what the house is altering. Obviously, there's still an appetite for grid repair, grid reform, whatever whatever form it comes in. However, I think that 
again, it's one of those issues. I'm not going to say irreconcilable, but it's definitely one where the chambers are miles apart upon. And it is, and it's also it's so complicated. Yeah. I mean, the, the average oh gosh, the average yeah. uh, Texan, you know, I, I tell our folks all this all the time. It's it's almost like property tax, which we haven't talked about, and we're going to get to in just a second. Uh, but it's like one of those issues where it's just so complicated that the average Texan can't really wrap their head around it. They just know the light's got to come on when I hit the switch, mm-hmm. and it can't cost me, you know, as much as my mortgage in order yeah. for me to get the, get the lights on. So however they fix it. Um, though that needs to be the result is that mm-hmm. it, is that it's it's got to work. The the good news is I think particularly here in Texas is that we're eminently reasonable and of course all the polling shows that what we want is reliable affordable energy and that means that we have to have fossil fuels and generally people in Texas aren't as um, uh, anti fossil fuel as they are in say other states like California and New York and so we don't have uh, the, as much of a push um, uh, to get rid of fossil fuels right I mean people are still supportive of renewables and certainly Texas is frankly a leader in, in renewable generation, uh, but you don't have this 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 pressure coming from the public to eliminate uh, fossil fuels, and so that seems to be you know part of uh, what the you know the typical you know back and forth debate is about. Mm-hmm. We don't have that here, so we can actually argue over the the, the policies that are that ultimately matter. Um, I do want to get into property tax okay. for a little bit, um, but I want to start with the politics uh, because we don't really get to talk about that too much here. Yeah. Um, you report on it uh, incessantly, and yes. so that's good. There's obviously a huge gap between what the Senate is talking about, what the House is talking about. The the lieutenant governor has been very vocal in terms of what he's supporting. They've passed their property tax bill. Yep. Senator Betancourt um, um, has, they've moved their actual bills and they've made progress. You've got the speaker uh, in this week, I think actually yesterday or the day before, was in the, the Houston Chronicle. I mean, put yep. an op-ed in the Houston Chronicle, making the case for appraisal caps. So tell me a little bit about the divide, I guess, uh, Brad, yep. and take us through the politics. Of that. Well, the, it is a huge divide, but it's on a minor part of the overall property tax uh, plan. There, there, there's not a lot of daylight between the two sides on compression, which is the state buying down local rates. Not a lot of divide on that. The big divide is on appraisals. And how do you address that? The House wants to establish um, a 5% appraisal cap for all property. Currently, the 10% cap, uh, year-to-year cap, only applies to homesteads. And so that would be, you know, that's a pretty big change in the way things currently operate. The Senate, on the other side, wants to uh, continue doing what, what they have done last session and the one before with increasing the homestead exemption. Now, that only applies to people who own homes, right? Um, but the on the business side, the, what the, the Senate has tra- um, uh, decided to do is increase the business personal property tax exemption from 2500 to 25000 um, and then create this inventory tax credit. So two very different strategies to address the same general issue. And it's, I, I think this is, I don't think they'll go to a special session on this because I think they'll hammer it out um, at the, maybe at the expense of other things that will cause a special session. But See, that perturbs me a little bit because the more they argue about it, the bigger the number gets. Yeah. Right? Like when the budget came out, it was $15 billion, and the Senate yeah. came out, it was $16 billion, the House came out, it was $17 billion. I mean, a couple special sessions, we might be at $20 billion. Uh, hey, there's some who would want that, right? <laughs> oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the lieutenant governor is very bullish on this, and he is, he's called the House plan uh, not exactly irresponsible, but he's basically alluded to that, um, saying that this is not the way to do it. We've seen problems come from this appraisal cap uh, strategy in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, the House says, counters with, you know, uh, you're just allowing homesteads to benefit when, 
from this uh, appraisal cap when you know businesses pay so much money and we see their appraisals rise and, and their tax bills rise commensurately with with the, the appraisal and so uh, why should they not benefit from this kind of limitation and then as you mentioned the speaker comes out yesterday and he was he did not pull any punches in that um, you know he had not come out as forcefully as lieutenant governor to that point but I think that was pretty forceful and mm-hmm. they are they're not giving any ground on this and now Derek the easy question who's right Yes. <laughs> I, I don't like it when mommy and daddy fight. Um, but no, all that all that to say- but it's it, so entertaining for, for people in my yeah, business. Yeah, right, right, exactly. We just uh, want the right policy. <laughs> no, and to be honest with you, that's I I, I see the merits in, in both arguments. But to your point, Brian, I think that they need to be careful insofar as if this is what- I mean, obviously, this has already been, led to some you know anti-other chamber- Mm-hmm. Um, uh, animus, and so I think that we really need to be, or that the chamber leadership, the chambers leaderships, need to be careful on on this particular thing to make sure that, to Brad's point, it does get hammered out. And you know, if it does get up to twenty twenty billion dollars, and we'll just have to we'll just have to bear that burden. Yeah. Um, but that being said, is obviously then we start getting into the realm of you know the realm of it. Does this count as spending? Because we have to basically bribe the uh, drunken sailors down at the local level to, you know, to basically go. No, we'll cover some of the uh, the tax that is owed to you, but it doesn't do anything about their spending. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I would highlight that nobody's really talking about. That is just this, you know, if if we if we agree that we want to do compression, which seems like both chambers do, neither of which has really had a very strong statement on getting the local spending under control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, this is, you know, we talk about this when taxpayer funded lobbying comes up. We talk about this when all sorts of, when the revenue anticipation note issues comes up. You know, they're they're advocating at the Capitol and nobody's trying to put them back in a box. And that's what I think is irresponsible, really, is that neither chamber is really addressing that while having compression as part of their package. And when it comes down to it, I mean, and not to be the comms guy here and, and get on message here, but, the, the you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we look we talk to uh, Texans all over and the three things they want is, number one, they like that it's the largest tax you know, property tax cut in history. That's fine and grand, and all the politicians can pat themselves on the back and, and take credit for that, which is a legitimate success. But the, the other two things are really important is that, one, taxpayers actually have to be able to feel it, right? And they, they don't necessarily need a $1,000 cut in the first year, but they need to know that it's not going up, and they need to know that it's at least going down somewhat in the first year and then continuing to go down after that. And then, three, we can't be back here in five years. We, we have to fix it. This can't be a situation where we're, you know, fighting tooth and nail to get get this big property tax cut and then we all cut a ribbon somewhere and then in five years we're like what what the heck happened and absent uh, control at the local level that's exactly what's going to happen right and so we, we got to get our, our we're changing the that. system entirely you mm-hmm. know it's not it's not cutting into the maintenance and operation uh rate itself long term it, it will buy it down by probably a pretty substantial amount for the next biennium but mm-hmm. then do you come back and have to uh reapply that that money yeah you I mean you would otherwise property tax bills will go back up Yep. Are, is the state going to be in the same economic uh, situation in two years? Well, and we're going to get tired of this. I mean, taxpayers are at some point uh, going to get too tired of it and then become voters and then and then make their voice known. One issue that is the number one issue for voters, and I know this isn't necessarily your beat, but border security is still the number one issue in Texas uh, by a mile, um, even, even when you take into account all the other issues that we talk about, education, school safety, all of that, by a mile, Texans left, right, and center all believe that the border and, and its connection to public safety um, are the biggest issue. Um, I know you're not necessarily covering that, but what do you 
you kind of hearing and seeing um, uh, on issues like that up at the Capitol? There is not a lot of opposition to the general plan. Um, you know, there's some criticism of specific things, like should Operation Lone Star be down there as much as they are for as long as they've been. Um, but the the idea of appropriating more money to this is not really something I've seen draw a lot of criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more of what you do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, so, like the border force and all of that. And right. People, you know, the the left came out pretty hard and saying, you know, oh, this is going to be stormtroopers kicking in grandma's house and deporting right. her or whatever, which of course is nonsense. Um, but they did, you know. But you're absolutely right. It's not the money; it's the how it's used. Yeah. And the left is coming pretty, pretty, you know, almost to threatening special sessions and things. Yeah. Like that. One um one idea I, I heard from Representative Terry Canales at, at our event that we hosted um, was to focus on these these ports of entries and securing those specifically because, you know, you see the story of the truck that overturned in San Antonio, killed 40 uh, some odd people. Um, he he is of the belief that that is a better way to prevent illegal border crossings. Now, what do you do about the massive stretches of land that have no barrier whatsoever? Um, Texas is trying to build some sort of barrier uh, across this massive um, uh, uh, landline. So, um, I I think it is going to eventually. Democrats are going to uh, kind of compromise on on this. What that means, I don't know, but they'll try and get something out of it. And they see the way the political winds are moving in South Texas. Um, it's not as if Democrats are about to be eradicated there, but Republicans are making really strong gains there. It's mm-hmm. it's. Uh, unavoidable right at this point, and so um, you know you see Ryan Gian flip parties last last year or in twenty one, and the writing is on the wall that Democrats need a different tact on the border, and we saw as much in the after action report by the Texas Democratic Party mm-hmm. uh, after twenty twenty two when throughout the rest of the country Democrats did pretty well, but in Texas you know they didn't come close to taking statewide, they kept two of the three. Um, uh, congressional offices down in South Texas, but those those two were were very. If you look at the partisan leaning, mm-hmm. heavily Democratic. Um, it would have been an, a massive shock for a Republican to take those. Yeah. And so, I think they're gonna they're gonna move some way on this, and it's not gonna be the hill to die on that maybe it has been in the past. Derek, next week is gonna be April. And so we only have we'll have less than two months technically of regular session left, and but who's going? It hasn't really, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it ha- and it hasn't really been much debate on on the number one issue. Um, there's at least enough, uh, maybe maybe some debate, but not enough attention mm-hmm. on legislative vehicles or what the mm-hmm. state legislature can do uh, to try and you know uh, assert some authority down there at the border. What's going to happen? Well, there's definitely, gonna, but I have to I have to pivot back to uh, Brad's earlier point of that you know a lot of the work that we're seeing is Senate focusing on uh, its priorities and getting some of the the major things out, and the House just being slower as you know as a as a matter of function. Now, I can I can speak knowledgeably about several of the suggestions that are that are in play, and you know these are the ones that are actually fairly technical because there's a lot of federal preemption when it comes to different. Uh, 
types of uh, border and immigration enforcement. So like things like that have to do with Texas, Mexico, but you know, like the, the Texas angle list, um, very similar to what we have uh, federally. We also have uh, suggestion, you know, just running the idea of an invasion, mm-hmm. uh, which would free invasion up invasion declaration, so that it, it can yeah, open would, up new authorities for the governor. Yeah, it would open up new authorities specific, specifically on our on our side of the border uh, in enforcement, and all these things are things that need to be incredibly vetted by attorneys. And you know, just I know for a fact that them coming out of ledge council took a lot longer than other things coming out of ledge council, which t- take a long time to begin with. Um, just because of how highly technical they are and, and you know, needing an extra set of eyes or three, you know, three sets of eyes or four or whatever the case might be. And so those will those will have their day. But those right now are also getting sent to, um, you know, some of the, the House committees that are also, you know, over. for example, if we put a lot of stock in some of that stuff like in Homeland Security and Public Safety, which oversees a lot of uh, the law enforcement function in the state. You're also going to see all the gun bills go there. And so that split up into now two committees where you have Homeland Security and Public Safety and then Community Safety. And so most of the gun bills are now in Community Safety. And so the problem is, though, is that they, they share a lot of personnel between mm-hmm. the two. Um, and so there's only a finite amount of time in a day that Chairman Guillen, who, who Brad mentioned, uh, can sit and hear bill, uh, sit and hear, sit and hear bills during. And so that tends to be just you know once we're starting to run out of daylight, or not that it ever stops them because they keep going past uh, dark. <laughs> but that being said, is you know it's a priority. I don't think it's been deprioritized by any of this lack of movement or perceived lack of movement. I think it's making sure all the uh, you know, all the T's are crossed and lowercase J's dotted so that, uh, you know, there's no trouble subsequently. So once so once we finally see bills and once we see them go through committees, it may pick up faster than we think. Exactly. And, I, and to, to Brad's point, I don't think we're going to see all that much of a fight on the floor on it. So in the last 10 minutes of our show, Brad, normally we do a um, uh, we do a segment we call In-Depth where we go, you know, in-depth into a particular issue or a particular, you know, to kind of break through the, the ins and outs and all the details and all the sausage making of something. But while you're here, I wanted to talk a little bit about Texas media, maybe spend the last 10 minutes kind of getting your perspective on that. Um, and just to kind of set the stage, I mean, it's no surprise that most of the the um, larger media outlets in Texas, whether they be uh, television stations or certainly our, our newspapers, um, are still sort of are left of center, if not, you know, off dyed in the wool uh, liberals, uh, particularly the editorial page and the editorial pages. Um, and so all of that still continues to have a, a, a leftward slant. Yeah. Again, we talked about uh, most of the news not, you know, not writing from a perspective uh, that wouldn't offend our worldview as we as we uh, look through it. So I want to kind of get your perspective just generally. Generally, as a reporter and having done this now, um, having come from, you know, not being a reporter, having any um, educa- formal education, at least, yeah. uh, in that, to now having done this for four years and you're right in the thick of it and, you know, reporting on some of the biggest issues in the country, <laughs> frankly, uh, because Texas and what we do here is one of the uh, most important states in the country. Um, just to get your perspective on, you know, take a step back and say, uh, you know, what what is it, uh, what is your perspective of, of Texas media and kind of how it contributes or hurts or detracts from from these policy debates? Well, I mean, obviously there's a problem and that, that applies to media overall, not just Texas. Um, you know, if if there was no problem in, in legacy media, we would have no constituency. I would not have a job. I would not have moved to Texas. This would not be a thing. Um, having worked in this for four years, I see a lack of competitiveness, I think, between, um, between legacy outlets 
they 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 often get pretty buddy buddy with each other. That's not to say you know I'm not going around calling my uh, peers, <laughs> uh, you know, nasty things. But um, you know, there's we are we are the competition. We are the ideological competition for the legacy media. Um, I, I'm glad you mentioned the editorial boards. I think the Tribune does not have an editorial board. They they don't put out these opinion pieces not anymore they used to have trip talk yes, and then they got yes. rid of it a couple years ago they don't put out opinion pieces <laughs> explain that <laughs> i'll let you handle that <laughs> um i uh but like these these city papers they have these editorial boards that come out very strongly on positions and it does the actual reporting a dis- disservice like if you're a reporter in that newsroom and you see the editorial board come out with uh like if i'm covering property taxes and my uh, editor comes out and says that the House's plan is horrible or the Senate's plan is the worst thing ever, that discredits all the reporting I've done. So It makes it tough for you to get into the lieutenant governor's office right. and talk to their comms guy, too. Right. Um, even if I've done everything right. Uh, and so, and yeah, exactly, that too. So when we started, Connie was very uh, adamant about not doing opinion, and that has not happened at all, and I think it's a, a big reason why we get people from both sides of the the political aisle uh, talking to us. Um, in addition to, in my opinion, how well we actually do the job. Um, as far as other things in the media, I think there is very much. It's difficult to make money, and we see this increasing shift towards nonprofits, and that has its advantages. You can bring in a lot of money in a short amount of time to build up an apparatus quickly. We chose the other route. Um, Connie and, and Phil just f- funded this from the beginning and then we're subscriber funded outside of that. And so uh, that's a different route. It takes longer to get up to the level of staffing that say the Tribune has, uh, but it forces you to figure out the correct way to do things, right? Um, you have to be efficient. You have to be um, uh, quick on, on your toes. You have to be uh, high quality. Otherwise, people are not going to read you. You're not going to get subscriptions, and uh, it's it's been really eye opening being in the thick of it and seeing what the people that do my job every day, uh, how they conduct themselves. Um, seeing people going off on Twitter about spouting their opinions. Uh, if you're a reporter, you should not be doing that mm-hmm. because that discredits. Just like an editorial board undermines what the reporters right that discredits you from the very beginning and there are too many people to do that it's just i i I can't wrap my head around well to to that end and i i think we all know you know again we don't have to name names but there are definite individuals who is who try to do you know play the straight man shtick you know and Mm -hmm. like act like this is just factual reporting but factual reporting is again a, a regurgitation of things that just happened whereas what we tend to see is that not only will they say, oh, well, this was said in a hearing, but like this was said in a hearing, this is the way it really is, and then point to some, you know, fringe source. And like that's, I don't, that's not even opinion journalism. That's just straight advocacy at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, much, much of the media has become mm-hmm. advocates uh, for whatever it is their, their pet issue. But uh, it's, I mean, it's good for me because that gives us a competitive advantage. But, it's very frustrating to see, uh, and I can imagine uh, it would be very frustrating if I was, you know, working for a representative or a senator over there, and you see something like that happen that involves your boss. Mm-hmm. That's 
that would be the end of of any time you talk to whatever reporter over at uh, you know X outlet. It's you mentioned earlier that uh, one of the ways in which reporters show bias is is the stories that they cover. Now, obviously, there are limitations; you can't cover everything. Right. But it, so you know, you try to cover as much to to appear balanced. But it is one way that that certainly certain outlets will will show bias. But also the language they use in the stories themselves. Right, yeah. I mean, we've complained or talked about here. You know, the Texas Tribune. I mean, during the entire election integrity debate over you know election reform, um, they just they they called it voter suppression, voter suppression bills, voter suppression. Yeah. You know, totally. Unjustified, never made it, you know, never showed, you know, where there was any voter suppression. In fact, it was the exact opposite if you actually looked at the research. And even since then, since the bills have been passed and we've had elections, there hasn't been any evidence of voter suppression. And yet they kept pushing this narrative over and over again. Won't ask you to comment on that other than to say, you know, how much pressure do you feel? choosing those words carefully like how like is it is it natural for you because you know you know kind of what the line is in mm -hmm. terms of how to describe these bills or describe these policies in a way um, that that does cut down the center line yeah. or do you find yourself you know not assuming that you're a left or right or, or whatever do you find yourself having to go back and, and almost self-edit because you want to make sure that you're not using the coded language so to speak uh, you know the dog whistle yeah. language kind of stuff um, uh, uh, in your own reporting I think um, as time has gone on, as I've done the job more, it's just come more naturally. But we have our own style guide, and uh, a lot of it's based on the AP style guide just as a basis. Uh, but then there are many things that are totally different. For example, the, exam the one I like to use a lot is gender-affirming care versus gender modification. We use the latter. All these other outlets use the former. And... A does not, in my opinion, does not describe the situation accurately, which first and foremost is what you should be striving for, right? But uh, it's also tinged with a lot of bias, um, and it totally discounts the other opinion, the opposed, the, the very real and substantial opposing opinion, mm -hmm. right? And so you have to find these more neutral ways to describe things if they exist, uh, which they almost always do if you try hard enough mm -hmm. but I don't see much of that and it's quite concerning because you see something like uh, you know this transgender uh, treatment issue it doesn't do the severity of the issue service if you're just calling if you're taking a side already with how you describe the situation and it's, it's a big problem appreciate, well appreciate your reality affirming view <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's all the time that we have today. Um, again, we could talk about this for, uh, for, for a, a lot because it's a big issue. And I, we do get a lot of folks, you know, um, who want, you know, a TPPF to take on kind of this, you know, the leftist media and all of that. That's not really our, um, you know, that's not really our lane necessarily. Um, so definitely want to thank you for what you do and, and the, the, you know, creating the organization and then being there since the very beginning and, and doing what y'all do. Connie's going to be very mad that I mistitled her. Um, so I <laughs> Apologize for that uh, to all our folks, uh, to, to Connie and everyone else. But yes, please, if you're not, you know, familiar, I'm sure all of our listeners and, and watchers are. Um, but the Texan.News, please go subscribe. It's a fantastic publication, and you put out daily stories. I mean, every single day you're putting out, particularly now during the legislature, uh, to get that um, a worldview uh, affirming or or not contradicting um, approach to to news. It's something that's very refreshing at the very least. Uh, so thank you for what you do, Brad. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me, guys. And for everybody else, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And as we always like to say, if I can get the quote right this time, uh, Sam Houston said, 
do right and risk the consequences. We'll see you next time.